Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Galit Speaks podcast. I am here with a very special guest. Her name is Karen Hewitt. Um, we are going to be talking about some amazing topics that are, you know, I kind of have touched on a lot over over um, the last couple of months, but it, I, I love to hear new perspectives and and we are going to be talking to Karen. She is a certified life and NLP coach, as well as a successful multifaceted entrepreneur. She shares her story and her gifts in an empathic and authentic way to help others. That's always super important. Uh, discovering real life gifts where introverts have the most power. Karen teaches her audience how powerful, creative, and successful you can be as an introvert, a woman, and a busy mom juggling it all. Karen's story takes her from almost losing her life to a man she thought was there to help her gain strength, leaving her with agoraphobia, PTSD, and anxiety where she became completely locked in her introverted world to becoming a true powerhouse in helping others stand true in their own gifts and strengths. As an empathic and compassionate speaker, she connects with introverted individuals that know there is something more to what they are doing, but don't know how they can impact or express themselves because of feeling shy, introverted, or even unworthy. Wow, that's amazing, Karen. I'm so, so happy to have you on. Um, please welcome Karen. And uh, if you're watching this or on the replay, Feel free to throw in comments and ask questions, and, and I will definitely ask Karen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Galit. Thank you. Yeah, during our little chat, we just realized that we are both in Phoenix, Arizona, so we are probably going to be meeting up in person soon, and there's a, a bunch of really cool things that you're doing. Um, would you like to share? Oh, yes. So... As you said, I focus on working with introverts because when I got into the business, everyone was telling me be more extroverted, do more, get up more, speak more, videos, dance, all this kind of stuff. And I just, just felt really ick. Yeah. And I knew there had to be a better way. So I started to learn skills and develop techniques that help introverts do it all authentically. You can get up and be a speaker if you're an introvert, but you just have to know how to look after yourself afterwards to rebuild your energy so instead of forcing people to be extroverted i teach them the techniques and the ways to help them grow and develop themselves so they can do it and still feel empowered there's a yeah. huge difference there and it really makes a break people we don't want to sell our soul to be in business we do this because we love what we do not because we want to feel exhausted at the end of the day yeah, and I think something you touched on is super important. The fact that you said um, authentic, right? Because yes. when we as consumers are looking at something, if it doesn't feel authentic, if it doesn't feel real, you're not going to buy it. 
And I know this was a, a problem when I started my business. You know, like you see me today as this blue haired, you know, woman who has a nose ring and like doesn't care. And this was me all along. But because my, you know, my real job, let's say the, the business that I own is, you know, in finance, I presented myself in a completely inauthentic way when I first started something that didn't feel right to me. But I just kept putting on this persona because I thought, okay, nobody's going to trust me unless I look this certain way. And it wasn't me. And not only that, like I, I, in the beginning of my business went so far as to put my ex's photo on my website because he looked like a older white male. And I was told to do this by yeah. many people in the business. Like he had no idea anything about like accounting or bookkeeping or virtual CFO services. He was not even good at math or handling money. And yet I felt like I needed to have that on my website to <laughs> look a certain way to be taken seriously. And um, it took me several years into my business and like, reaching kind of a plateau where I I just didn't understand why I wasn't having people sign up and had had like this like crazy moment epiphany when someone told me like I'm looking at your website and then I'm looking at you in person and I'm talking to you and these two things are not the same person oh yeah we tell people don't talk about anything controversial look normal whatever normal is act yeah. normal follow the rules don't swear don't be different don't step out of your box no you have to be this cookie cutter version mm -hmm. of yourself to appeal to the masses no just no because you know what yeah you may appeal to the masses but you have a choice you can either appeal to everyone and book no one or appeal to your people and have fun doing it that's yeah that's beautiful. I like that idea of like, you can appeal to the masses and book no one because that's <laughs> truly how it is. Like if you are not who you are, then nobody's buying from you. Right. Nobody wants to buy from someone that feels fake. Yeah. And they can tell, they can totally tell when you're being fake. Like I literally presented myself as this goody to choose mom. Because I homeschool my kids. I have five kids. I homeschool them. I was trying to be the good Christian mom. And it was because that was the that was the book, the group I was playing. Yeah. Because I was a homeschool. And it's like, no, that's just not me at all. Like my cup, people laugh at me because of my coffee mugs when I go live or I do videos. Because they see half the time, they're like, what does that one say today? Oh, there's another F bomb. <laughs> yes, there is. I ain't hiding that anymore. <laughs> you know, I swear I'm pagan. I'm part of the LGBTQI community. Yes, I have five kids. Yes, we're homeschool. Yes, they're nuts. And sometimes you may hear them scream in the background, but you know what? <clears throat> That's life. Yeah. And if people can't, what is it? One of my favorite things I heard last year was if I'm too much for you, then off and find less. 
Yeah. So just go find less. It's okay. I can be too much for somebody. You can be too much for somebody, but that's not your person that you need to work with because when you have that right person, the relationship is easy. The communication is easy and the success follows. 100%. And so I would love to hear about how you came to this realization and how you came to be who you are doing what you do. Oh, it is a, it is a story. Let me tell you that. The real brief background before I get into where it really changed was I was I was in high school and I was bullied. I grew up in England and I was bullied pretty badly. And when I left school, I literally married the first person that says, hey, I love you. I was like, oh, yay, I can be loved. Woohoo! And that was just emotionally dead. And I ended up in a divorce and I got diagnosed with depression. And this, oh gosh, I'm going to make myself sound so old right now. But this is in the time of AOL chat rooms. I mean, you're not that old. <laughs> right up my alley. Uh, and I found like a depression room. And I'm there. I'm trying to learn more about it because it's like, oh gosh, this sucks. I don't like this. I want to get better. And I met someone online and they said all the right things. They told me all everything that I needed to hear, or rather everything I wanted to hear. And this goes into one of my first topics. It's called love bombing. And maybe some of your listeners have heard of this. Love bombing is where somebody just showers you with so much love. You get like this real big high and it feels amazing. And like you're floating on air. And they did everything like messages, texts, pictures, even to the point where he was like, I think you've been diagnosed wrong. Because at the first, I was actually diagnosed with bipolar back in England. Okay. And he's like, you're not showing signs of this. You're showing signs of just depression. And he's like, you know what? I'll make you a deal. Fly over to Arizona. I'll get you in with a decent doctor here. And we'll find out what's really going on. Okay. I was part of the Mormon church at the time. And literally one of the missionaries that came in England that lived in Arizona. So I checked out his family with the Mormon church because they were Mormon too and all this kind of stuff. And I was going to be staying with his mother and sister. And I flew over. And yes, they told me, you know, you just have depression. You've been through a lot. You're depressed. And you're on way too much medication. We need to get you off this medication. We need to make you feel better. So all this was going great. And at this time, he was taking me out for dinner dates every night, buying me teddy bears, buy me flowers, just every single little tiny thing he could do to make me feel special and loved and cared for. And I was here for three months. And then I went back home to England. And of course, at this point, I'm feeling so much better. I'm happier. I'm feeling like I can live again. You know, I'm and by the time I got back home, my AOL messenger was blown up with I miss you. I regret not asking you to stay. I want to marry you. I can't imagine life without you. You're everything to me. And the next day when I got home and heard all this, I called him up, we talked, and he arranged for a lawyer to do all my immigration. And we decided, yeah, let's do this. Let's me move to America and get married to this person who 
just completely blasted me with love. Yeah. And I was, it was amazing. Three months later, I flew back. Two months after that, we were married. So if you think about that, that's less than a year of me and him. And then you know, the even scariest thing was my divorce got finalized a week before I got married. Wow. <laughs> and so it was like super rapid, super quick. But everyone I met would tell me how much of a gen. He was originally from South Carolina. He did the whole jeans and cowboy hat thing. Ex-military. Okay. And, oh, you've got such a general. Oh, my gosh. I wish my husband would treat me like that. Opening the doors, pulling out chairs. You name it, he did it all. And this, it was, they call it a honeymoon phase, but it was more than that. It was so heightened that everyone around me was actually jealous of the relationship because of what they saw. And this is what made the next part of it so difficult for people to understand and hear and see is I got my green card. I started working. Mm -hmm. I got promoted really quickly. I was in retail. I'll never do retail again. Seriously, if, if you've ever been in retail, sometimes the horror stories are true. You do get customers like that. And it yeah. is a nightmare. Yeah. And everything was great until I was late home from work by about five minutes. And I, I'm stressing that five minutes because the reaction I got for being late home from work for five minutes, and it was because of traffic. And you're from Arizona, you know exactly what that traffic can be like. It can all of you can be going two miles and it takes you an hour because it's just horrendous. I walked in the house and I got slapped so hard across the face. I think I just stood there and looked at him like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And then that's when this love bombing started again because he started apologizing. He'll never do it again. He was worried something had happened to me. He got stressed out, he was anxious. He then brought up how his father was abusive to his mother. He's scared he's going to repeat the cycle. He needed my help. And if anyone's been in domestic violence, mm -hmm. this story's probably started, they're probably going, I've heard that before. You're the only one that can help me. Yeah. I need yeah. to get past this. I don't want to be my dad. And he made dinner. He, he, just like lavished everything on me at that point and was doing everything he could to make it up to me. And that's when we began this cycle of every time I did something wrong, it got met with, met with violence. Yeah. And, and it got, it's, it got interesting. Worse. it's uh, interesting that you say, because I, I always like to be super cognizant of the words that we use. Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to domestic violence, because I, I don't know if you know, but I, um, my father was abusive and we ran away to a domestic violence shelter. So I want to like, just be cognizant of the fact that you said every time I did something wrong, although mm -hmm. that was wrong in his eyes, but like being late is not 
oh. wrong. That's like not, not even so, there's nothing, you know? No. And it was like five minutes. And it's like, but he used, he, he used to justify everything he did. That it was my action that caused it. Yeah. And okay. So I'm 15 years past it right now. And about 10 years ago, I realized something. I just told you the first time you hit me, yeah. but that was not the first time that he exerted control. And this is why, he, this is, I told you, this is why I speak out about it because we victim shame so much and how I'm going to tell and for your audience, if they've ever found themselves saying this, I just want you to just pay attention to your words. Okay. Because I wouldn't stay if someone hit me. Why didn't you leave? No, the he, first time he put his hands on me, I would be gone. Why did you put up with it? We've heard all these things before when we're talking to victims, right? Yeah. And it's because for some reason we think that the first time someone is hit in this relationship, that is the first sign of domestic violence. It's not. No. I I actually like to call this positive control. And what positive control is, is the first time he did something was he actually used to give me compliments. And compliments don't sound bad, do they? No. And it was, he was taking me out for a date and he told me how beautiful I looked in the dress. And it was, oh my gosh, you look so good in, oh, you, oh, that is just amazing on you. And you know, when you get that, you always feel like really like, oh, I made the map, oh, so good. And then a week later, he went to take me to dinner again. And he said, oh, that dress you wore last week was so pretty. You should put that back on. I really like you in that dress. I really like it when you make this meal. I really like it when you have your hair down. I really like it when you wear these shoes. Yeah. These things don't sound terrible in themselves because we all want to hear the compliments. But within six months, I was dressing, acting, cooking, cleaning, hair and makeup exactly how he wanted me to. Yeah, he was controlling you through, you know, telling you what he liked and making it so that when you weren't doing those things, you weren't getting the words mm -hmm. of affirmation that you had yeah. been conditioned to want. Exactly. And it, I know that sounds, it sounds so silly to so many people like, yeah, well, compliments don't do anything. But when you get compliments and then they get taken away because you're not doing something, it, and when, especially when the affection and the love has been piled on so thickly, it's yeah, far more yeah. rejecting to not get them. So I would get up and get ready before him. He would have his breakfast ready before he got up. Everything would be perfect in the house. The house would be clean. The laundry would be done. Dinner would be made for when I got home. I would only have clothes that he liked. I actually threw away half of my closet of clothes when I moved because he didn't like that style and replaced it with the styles he liked. All to keep getting that affection, that love, because they condition you to have such a high from it that you feel good when you're getting it. And... As I promoted up and up the ranks, 
and I became a manager and then a district manager candidate and all these kind of things, I had to spend more time working. Because literally you're managing, I was managing a mall store and that's a lot of work, a lot of people, a lot of inventory, a lot of paperwork. He'd start accusing me of having affairs. Yeah. And turning up at my work unannounced so he could catch me. And it didn't matter if he was accusing me of, because I'm pansexual, he'd accuse me of males, he'd accuse me with females. He would just accuse me with anyone he could think that I'd spent more than five minutes with. Yeah. I was training a new assistant manager. That meant I was having an affair with them. I made friends with someone. Oh, no, no, no. That meant I was sleeping with them. Yeah. And there's no way to disprove these things once. No. Once, Once the, it's in the head. The accusations have started, especially with like narcissistic uh, mm -hmm. personalities and domestic, you know, abusers. Yeah. And it literally got worse and worse and worse. And like I said, he slapped me. Within six months, it was, I was on the floor being kicked and hit. I was having pillows held over my face having my head pushed into the sink full of dishes and held under there until I passed out. I was having knives held to my throat, cigarettes put out on me. And it glitched and I endured that for another three years. Wow. Because he would tell me how broken I was how no one else would put up with me. He'd, because I was an immigrant, he'd also threatened to have me deported and after I'd been spent a long time in jail because he'd prove it was fraud. So he'd threaten me with jail, deportation. Uh, no one would ever want me. No one would ever like me. I was this horrible person. Uh, I couldn't do anything right. Oh my gosh, I burnt something. It made... I burnt a dinner one night and that resulted in my head being slammed into a concrete floor to the point where I still have a TBI. Wow. But everything was my fault. Now, I know it wasn't. I know this was him being a complete and utter narcissistic waste of space. Yeah. But at that time, he'd conditioned me so much that every action that he did was a direct result of an action that I did. And you spend your life walking on eggshells. Right. Because it was the slight, if I didn't turn, if he called my name and I didn't get there straight away. If I didn't have the right food in the fridge for him. And the fun thing was he didn't work the entire time. I was the one bringing in the money. I was the one taking care of the house. I was the one doing everything and he was watching TV. Yeah. Yet the thing was, every time he showed up somewhere with me, he would overgo on the holding doors, pulling chairs. And oh my gosh, you're so lucky. The guys I worked with, don't tell my wife this is how you're treated because they want me to treat. And I'm in my head back in my head going, your wife wants to be beaten? Yeah. Because, <laughs> but the, all they were seeing was the nice, 
the random surprises coming, you know, flowers turning up at my work. What they didn't realize is the flowers turned up at work because the day before he would be beating me. Yeah. And it was an apology because every time he did something, he would apologize. And the first time I believed that he thought he'd killed me, I remember blacking out. I just remember everything went black. And we think it was, I think it was probably six or seven hours later that I came around. And I had about 15 minutes ready left to get ready and go to work. So I'm, I'm trying to rush around. I'm disorientated. I'm dizzy. I'm trying to clean myself up. I'm trying to get ready for work. He's like, I'll drive you to work. And normally when he would tell me how sorry he was and how much he doesn't want to be like his dad, how he, he hated every moment of it. This time he turned around to me and he says, you won't be doing that again, will you? <sighs> and the scary thing is you think that's the moment people decide to leave. Uh, that was a good 18 months before I actually left. So what was what was the catalyst? I got promoted yet again and I had to go to another store and it was across the valley. So we moved. We moved into the surprise area. Mm-hmm. And he dropped me off at work one morning and he slapped me as I got out of the car. And my assistant manager saw it. What I didn't know is my assistant manager at the time had suspected something was going on for several months and had just been there going, hey, you okay? Yeah, I'm always here if you want to talk. I'm always here for you. Let me know if you need anything. Just generally, and he took me back in the office and he talked to me and he was like, okay, I just saw that. So I think it's time you tell me what's going on. And it was like one of those emotional floodgates. I just word vomited all over this poor guy told him the entire thing and then that weekend he got his boyfriend to come to my house and they kind of pre-arranged for something to happen so that way my husband at the time would get pulled over they broke a tail light and they called a friend and the idea was just to get me an extra half hour to get out of the house delay him Turned out he had outstanding bench warrants and got arrested. Wow. All the I did not in the entire relationship, I did not know that his driver's license was suspended. I did not know he was an ex-felon. Wow. Did not know any of this. But he got arrested and taken to jail. It was a Friday night, so they basically bought me the weekend. But by Monday morning, I was ready to go down to the to the Fourth Street Courthouse bail him out and beg for forgiveness because I still in my head thought it was my fault. Yeah. And, and I'm sure the added pressure of him getting arrested was, yeah. Now you're thinking, you know, I just wanted to like delay him a little bit. Yeah. But now I've caused him to sit in jail over the weekend and not, not yet comprehending that like, no, he's not sitting in jail because of you. He's sitting in jail because of things that he did. 
Correct. I thought it was all my fault. All my fault. If we're wrong. And it was actually a really nice customer that helped me change my entire mindset and what I did next. Because I went to work because I'd been conditioned that no matter what, you show up at work and you smile and act like nothing's going on. And I was like teary eyed and all this. And everyone who said, well, are you okay? I'm allergies. Oh, it's just allergies. Your seasonal allergies. You know what it's like here. Yeah? Can't stop sneezing and sniffling. My eyes are red because it's your know, allergies. And there was an older gentleman who used to come in like every other week for batteries and things like that. And just, he was a regular. And he was also an immigrant, but he was an immigrant from Japan. And he was like, he was like, I'm not buying it. This isn't allergies. And he insisted that I went next door to this coffee shop with him. And for some reason, again, the flood, I told him how broken I was, how pathetic I was, how stupid I was, you know, all these words that my ex had put into my brain to believe. And he told me a story and he told me that I wasn't broken, that I was Sakura. And what Sakura is, is cherry blossoms. And he told me the story that his mother told him when he was living in Japan, you before she died. And he basically all the cherry blossom trees, every winter, their bark, they lose their flowers like every tree do. They lose their leaves like every tree does. But the bark of a Sakura tree, a cherry blossom tree, changes color to like a dull gray in the winter. And they look dead. They look like they're dead. They're not coming back. They look deceased. But really what they're doing is they're digging their roots down really deep to nourish themselves for the spring. So they can come back bigger, stronger, prettier, more beautiful the year after. And cherry blossoms survive war. They survive famine. They survive heat. They survive cold because they choose to dig down and rebuild from within. And he's like, you're not broken. You're a cherry blossom. And this is your winter and your spring will come. And that's what I call my business Blossom to Success, literally because of that story. Because no matter what, you can always dig in and rebuild yourself from within. But he's the only reason I didn't go bail that man out. He's the only reason I took my four, I called my 401k up that day, got the money for a lawyer. He's yeah. the only reason I got a restraining order. He's the only reason I did these things because he told me I could rebuild from within. And it just hit home. Yeah. And it makes, uh, it makes so much sense because so many, there have been so many moments in my life where it just takes that one person to believe in you, that one person to show you how it really is mm-hmm. for everything to just start to fall in place for you. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to start this podcast um, I think I shared with you earlier that I have, you know, my primary business is in finance and I have this other financial podcast that I, I've been doing, you know, every Monday for like four or five years now. And it wasn't enough, right? I didn't feel like I could speak on everything that I wanted to speak on. And I actually had this crazy situation recently um, that happened 
where, you know, I am very open with my story um, of escaping domestic violence. And, and um, I had a friend randomly call me who didn't, I mean, I had told her my story, but like, she didn't even realize that she was being emotionally abused. And I saw it, but I didn't say anything because you never want, you know, to be cut off because mm-hmm. you, you said something. So I just stayed around and made sure like I was there whenever she needed me. And it actually took somebody else going there um, and and staying with her and seeing it happen in action to actually like give her the initial catalyst. And I was the person that she reached out to. And I was like, well, did you reach out because you knew that like, that I talk about it? She's like, you know what, maybe I did. And that's what I wanted of like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be really open and always be sharing and, and just be like this open book. And then when someone needs me, I'm here. Yeah. And you see, that's what I also tell because people are like, oh, I, I have this friend. I need to tell her to, I need to tell him to leave. No, yeah. you don't actually need to tell anyone to leave because if someone had told me to leave before I was ready, I would have come up with every reason to stay. If you have a friend that's dealing with emotional, physical, any form of abuse, don't tell them what to do. Don't try and control them. They've got enough control going on in their life already. Make sure they know you are there for them. That's yeah. the best thing you can do. Like, hey, I'm here. I'm your friend. What do you need? How can I support you? What do you need from me? And be available to them, but don't tell them what to do. Because if you tell them what to do, they're just going to see you as another form of that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to let you know that a a Facebook user, someone watching said, wow, so powerful. Karen, you you had so much courage. And and you do. Yeah. I'm open about it because too many people will turn around and without meaning to the victim shame. I had, so when I got divorced, he actually threatened me in front of the mediator and in the courtrooms and everything to break my face into a thousand pieces when he next saw me. Wow. That did did go to an arrest again for him for threatening violence, you know, and things like that. But I got a court, recommended can't say caught a point because court recommended that i went to a trauma therapist and you know one of the first things that trauma therapist told me so why didn't you leave earlier (sighs) and then the first thing that went through my head at that point was oh you're right i asked for the last four years of this because if i had thought to leave when he first slapped me I wouldn't have gone through this. I wouldn't have, he wouldn't have attempted to drown me. He wouldn't have tried to suffocate me with a pillow. He wouldn't have held a knife to my throat. He wouldn't have beat me to unconsciousness multiple times or choked me out. But then I realized that no, that was just re-impacting the fact that I had no control. Yeah. And honestly, when you're in this situation and I don't think people realize this, you don't have control you feel like you're in this place where you cannot make a decision. 
and statistically it is proven the most dangerous time in a domestic violence relationship is when that person chooses to leave. Yeah. Because that's when that other person has nothing to lose. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that statistically most domestic violence homicides happen when someone tries to leave. Mm-hmm. Or when they say they've had enough. Or when they finally stand up and say, no, you can't treat me this way. Yeah. That's when the worst things tend to happen. And I think if more people realize that, they would be more understanding to those that have left. Like yourself, you, you got out. And instead of like telling you, oh, well, you should have left sooner, it should be, hey, I'm proud of you for leaving. How can I support you going forward? Yeah. And, and honestly, the effects last way longer than the relationship. I mean, just in the case of my mother and father, I mean, my mother has done amazingly well since leaving, but I remember I got into a, a relationship where I was abused and like, one of the things like the victim shaming it came even from that of like what did you do Mm -hmm. like what yeah you've been in this like it's it has nothing to do with anything that i did like i'm clearly you know repeating Mm -hmm. the mistakes that i saw because i didn't see healthy love i didn't know what healthy love was and so like this unhealthy abuse was normal to me and you know even coming from that situation sometimes we we still like victim shame yeah well it's because we're conditioned to think oh no no this was a result of an action not this was a result of a sick mind that decided that this is how they imposed their control on someone which is what it is is the result of that individual's mindset to choose to impose the control on somebody in this way. But we're told so often that it's our fault that when we see it happening, the, our first thought is, oh my gosh, what did they do? Yeah. Because in our head, we were hit because we did something. Yeah. And that's scary. And that's probably where your mother's coming from because she was so used to everything being a reaction to an action that she made. Even if her action would, like, the actions that we make could be so stupid. Five minutes late home. Oh, made the wrong kind of pasta with dinner. Yeah. And just like- Forgot to add sugar. So many stories that you shared today are so similar. Like the burning something. Um, mm-hmm. my younger sister, oh, sorry, my older sister was kicked out and disowned by my father because she burnt something and he decided she was trying to poison him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that, like changed the whole trajectory of her life. Just like something so simple of like, whoops, I, sorry, I left it on the stove too long. Yeah. Exactly. And, and none of these things are intentional. Although at some point I will say there is this, there's this like mental break. And I know I had this where probably about two years before I left, 
I started to deliberately push the boundaries that almost incited him to more violence because my life was so miserable. It was like, I didn't want to do anything to myself, but hey, it, it, if he just lost control, it would be better off anyway. You get to the point where it'd be easier if I were here, but you don't want to do anything yourself. So you kind of push their boundaries to try and make them angrier. So that way they can just finally end the misery. Yeah. And that is a really scary place to be in. Yeah, it is. And I share that because I think quite a few people, especially mine was tied to extreme domestic violence because I have a TBI from it. I have fractures. I they still see like the hairline fractures on some of my bones that didn't heal right. I had multiple broken noses. My well, my nose was broken multiple times. My arms were broken. My ribs were broken. You know, the level of clumsiness that I had because you know, I think I fell down so many flights of stairs in my one-story house it was unbelievable. Because yeah. <laughs> it was easier to say I fell down the stairs than say no. That was the case of a, a steel toe cap shoe. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the times what we don't realize is the individuals that are going through this, they don't see hope. Oh. And it takes a lot to finally see it. And after all that, I was diagnosed with CPTSD, agoraphobia, because he told me the next time he saw me, he was going to kill me. So guess what? I didn't leave the house for a long yes, time. Uh, he literally measured the distance of the restraining order and would stand two feet away from the distance. So he could see me and I could see him. Yeah. But technically he was not violating the restraining order. Yeah. So you couldn't do anything. So I couldn't do anything. So he did all these things where ended up me quitting my job, becoming a recluse, not leaving my house for a couple of years at all. I still, if I hear a loud bang or a loud ma a man shouting very loud, I still jump. And this is 15 years later. I go in restaurants. I still have my back to a wall so I can see the doors just in case he happens to come in. Yeah. 15 years later. And I don't think people realize that they think, oh, well, once you're out, it's like, okay, six months, you cry a little bit, and you're done. No. This affects you. Yeah. And so that, did you continue on with that trauma therapist or did you find someone new? I was with them for about six months because I was actually buying the whole, well, maybe I should have been better. Maybe I should have been stronger. Maybe I need to work on my self-control. Maybe I work, need to work on myself. Not In no form was I ever working on anything like, how do I process what happened? In, in my head, when I was working with her for the first six months, it was, okay, so how do I do this so I'm a better person in the future so it won't happen again? Yeah. How do I fix all the things that I did wrong? 
how do I not burn dinner? How do I make sure that I never late? How do I make sure that I don't talk back? And then finally I realized, hang on, there's something not right here. And so I started to go to different people and that's when I learned about NLP. And that's when I started studying NLP because it was, I knew that there was a story in my head that wasn't right. Yeah. The story in my head was telling me it was all my fault. I did each of these things. I created the problem. I caused the problem. And NLP, the primary goal of that is to rewrite the conversation in your head. Yeah. So I had to rewrite that conversation before I could move forward. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit about NLP? NLP is neuro-linguistic programming, and it's literally that conversation that you have in your head and how you view things. One of the main pillars that we teach in NLP is perception. Just because you see something one way does not mean everyone sees it the same way. So with NLP, we start to look at it from different individuals' perspective to figure out what is actually going on. I think my favorite example I've heard on this is like a traffic jam. If you're stuck behind traffic, you can be really, really mad at the car in front of you going, oh my gosh, why are they going so slow? What's their problem? And you can get angry and do all this. But really what it is, is you don't realize that 300 yards down the road, there's been an accident that you can't see. Yeah. So the perception is, is it really the car in front of you that's causing the problem or is there something different going on? And when you start to question where your perspective is, and start to look for the true perspective, you start to rewrite conversations. And for me was, was it really unreasonable that I was five minutes late? Was it really unreasonable that I scorched a piece of dinner? You know, and I started to rewrite, if I was in a typical relationship, what would happen if I burnt dinner? And I was looking at, well, there would be some couples that would laugh about it and say, well, let's order pizza instead. There would be other couples that go, okay, well, let's look and see what else we can do. And then there'd be other people that the guy would eat and go, mmm, delicious. Thank you, honey. Oh, wow, trying not to puke, you know. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. so rewriting and looking at all these different perspectives. And with NLP, what we do is we question what's going on in our mind. Not in the like, oh, one questioning your sanity, but how are you looking at it and how would be a healthier way? to tell yourself that story. Um, one of my favorite techniques is the yet technique. Have you ever told yourself you can't do something? Oh, yeah. I can't find them. Well, no, just add one word to the end of that sentence, yet. Yeah. I can't climb that mountain yet. Because now what you're telling your brain is it's still a possibility. But if you tell yourself you can't do it, you're already telling your brain it will never be done. Yeah. But again, you're not lying to yourself because you're not saying, well, I can do that right this second and do it like in record speed. You're saying, well, I can't do it yet. But if I wanted to, I could. Yeah. Then it goes into the questions, well, what do I need to do to be able to do it? Yeah. And you can, so, you can create a path to that. And that's about remapping those neural paths to create opportunity and perspective. Wow. So it's like really digging into the brain and the mindset and helping you come up with things that are more reasonable and more realistic for you 
that actually give you that healthier boundary, that healthier relationship, that healthier self-worth that helps you be successful, stronger, happier, and more fulfilled. And of course, more authentic. Yeah. So is that now what you do full-time? Full-time. I help people find that authentic, true self, realize how to tell their stories, feel empowered, and we lean into the gifts they have instead of telling them, well, you can't do this because you don't do this. Well, what can you do? Where are your strengths? How can we use those strengths to grow and develop things forward? How can we make this your success plan instead of relying on what you can't do because you've never been taught it? Yeah. And the majority of people that come to you, what, you know, what's their background? What are they struggling with? Honestly, the most people I speak with, they're introverts. They're introverts that I get told that in order to be successful in life, you have to be loud, you have to be extroverted, you have to get up on stage, you have to be crazy, creative, stand out in the crowd. You know, these are the things that they get told. I want to be a public speaker. Great. Now you have to get on stage and yell at everyone. No, you can be a softly spoken public speaker. Yeah, that's okay. Not everyone's the same. And for some reason, we have this one image on all these different fields that makes you successful. And it's not the case. So I help introverts uncover their hidden gifts, tell their story authentically. I help them create marketing around what they do as a business in an authentic way that's not just brash and out there and like TikTok. TikTok's all about TikTok dances. No, we don't do TikTok dances with me. We we do tips, we do things that are authentic, we do things that are realistic for the person and they build success because we dig into their strengths, not their perceived weaknesses. Yeah, that's great. Ah, I'm so in awe of you and your story and the way that you help people. It's, It's truly beautiful. What is one piece of advice that you would like to give the audience? I think one of the biggest changes for me was my mom. And a few months before my mom passed away, I was still, and this was like five years after all this, I was still struggling with it. I was still struggling with a lot of anxiety. And she just said to me, have you ever thought that maybe you went through it because somebody else would not have survived? And then she started to talk about the fact that I was strong, that I survived, that I lived through this, that I managed to do this. And then she started to tell me that, you know, maybe, just maybe you're supposed to do this because you're supposed to speak up on it. And you're supposed to help people realize that there's a different way to treat individuals that went through this. There's a way to get out. There's all these things that are in perspective. And that's why I started like my public speaking journeys, why I joined Toastmasters. And and from a girl that wouldn't even speak in the first meeting, like I wanted the whole world to swallow me up to where I am now is like insane. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever your hardship, whatever your challenge, you have a choice. You can either focus on how bad you had it 
how much damage it did, what control it had. Or you can focus on the fact that you're on this other side of it now. Even if you're just literally dangling over the ledge of the other side and you're not fully over the mountain, you're still on the other side. Yeah. And that in itself means that you possess an innate amount of strength, courage, ability, and just no matter what happens, if at the end of the day you can find a little bit of love in your heart, a little bit of kindness and a little bit of hope, you're going to be okay. And it can be a smidgen. It does not have to be a lot. It does not have to be where you're brimming over low with it, but just a smidgen of it. That tiniest flicker. Remember, that means that you have every potential to be okay. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now. Yeah. Because there will be moments where it doesn't feel like it, where you don't think you can move forward, that you don't think you can get past it. But the next day, and then the next doesn't matter how slow that that needle moves you're doing it and it's no one else it's you yeah and i want them to remember that i want them to remember that they're the one that are being strong yeah i love that um yeah it's one of the things that i i use in my coaching a lot um just as long as you're moving forward it doesn't matter how big the step is as long as you're moving forward, you're not standing still and you're not going backwards. Right. So as long as you just keep up and and it brings, when you were talking about that, it brings to my mind the analogy of a tiny little flame can light up a lot of darkness. Yeah. And that flame will grow and grow and grow, but you have to give it the time and allow it the space and the oxygen to do mm-hmm. so yeah and it's okay if you take a tiny step back we all stumble yeah we really do we all stumble and if you think no one's ever stumbled they're lying to you if someone tells you they've never stumbled backwards they're lying just yeah everyone does it's whether or not you choose to let that stumble keep going backwards i go you know what i got this i'll just tiptoe a little forward now yeah. Keep moving forward. Yeah. And uh, someone in the audience said, thank you for sharing your story, Karen. Yeah, um, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think that it does take so much courage and for you to come and talk and be vulnerable and to share that, you know, the the worst moments of your life um, unapologetically is so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you think it'd get easier. It's still, <laughs> it still, it always still catches me a little bit because you get, you re- end up reliving some of it. Mm-hmm. But just one person, if they realize that they have the potential to grow forward that's momentary like feeling of everything being in my throat is so worth it yeah and uh 
let me ask you if people want to work with you, get in touch, mm -hmm. uh, how can they do that? Well, I'm on most of those social medias as either Karen Huyer or Blossom to Success. Or they can go to my website, blossomtosuccess.com. Like I said, it's all about that cherry blossom. You're growing from within. Don't let any winter stop you. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I will share all of your links so that people can reach out to you. How do you normally work with people? All virtually, and most of my clients right now are one-on-one. -on -one. However, I am opening up group sessions very soon. So that way, if maybe you wanted more of a mastermind field, that's gonna be there. Great, oh, I love that, yeah. Uh, it's always nice to have, um, especially maybe in this scenario, it's great to have like a support system, a group that you're working with to try to get out of it. Um, do you see a lot of uh, domestic violence survivors reaching out to you? I do have some that do. And one of the things that we work with is they're always surprised that I'm so authentically open on social media because most of them feel like they have to hide themselves still. Yeah, and we work on having that that power from within to understand that that person doesn't have that control and that they can authentically share their story and they can use it to help fuel them. It's not about telling your story to get you know sympathy or pity. It's about you know I was here and now I can move forward and now I can do this with my life. Yeah, and allowing other people to understand that. Even after that situation, you can't, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is another side. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what we focus on is finding a little timer of hope. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. We're coming up on an hour. So I'm going to, I know people's attention spans are not. Uh, so I usually try to keep these under an hour. I feel like we could keep talking forever. And I might actually, you know, let's talk. I might want to have you come on again and share okay. a little bit more of your story. And yeah, because I just think that this was such a powerful session. And the way that you share, right, the way that you're open is so amazing. Um, uh, and it speaks to my heart. It's, it's something that I truly try to live my life by and embody just being like so completely me and I'm really vibing, you know, with your hair and your whole, <laughs> the, the Arizona, the not being from there and just your whole, your, your everything. So. Oh, I'm super happy to have met you. This is going to be fun and I would be happy to come back and be like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I would really like you to come back on so we could have a little bit more, we could go a little bit more in depth and just, yes. you know, I want to keep this conversation going because that's what I've seen work, right? Yeah. You just need to keep putting yourself out there, keep being vulnerable. And I, I want to keep surrounding myself with people that are like that because mm -hmm. I do get sometimes locked up, 
right? Like I'll get back into myself where like I just want to like hide and not and just have this like perfect existence that everyone wants to have on social media. And oh yeah. It's not me, right? And it's not who I am and it's and it's not helpful to anyone, right? Oh, I still fall into that myself and it's like, oh, hang on, no, I'm doing it again. I'm doing the highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so important for the audience and just everyone to see like what what reality is and mm-hmm. and what it looks like and what not um non-highlight reel looks like in someone's life. So Oh yeah. I feel I feel very appreciative to you and and really thankful and grateful that you came on today and and we're so open. I'm I'm happy to have been here. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. So if you want to reach out to Karen, I will put all of her links. Um, You can reach out. uh, I'm going to put it on both Facebook and Instagram and uh, YouTube. If you are watching this right now or in the replay, please feel free to comment, share your story, ask questions. Um, We are here. I'm here definitely to respond. I know that Karen will as well. Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, please send this, share this with somebody that you think needs it, someone that you believe needs to hear this message. Subscribe to the channel. You can always reach out to me at uh, Galit Speaks on Facebook, Galit Speaks on YouTube, um, or in my group, Righteous Revenue Fishbowl. Um, I'm just like, oh, just trying to process the last hour. It's kind of been, it's been magical and difficult and amazing. And, you know, feeling this connection with you, Karen. I'm I'm really happy to have met you. I'm happy to have met you as well. Thanks. All right. Have a have an amazing night, everyone, and I will see you next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.